Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. What it do, baby? It's the Preachers and Seekers podcast. I hope everybody had a great Christmas heading into New Year's holiday. Just wanted to drop in real quick and release the last, last episode of the podcast with my good buddy, Johnny Wesolowski, a.k.a. Johnny Valentine. You may not know this guy, but he works in merchandising at Jordan Brand. Ever heard of it? And was kind enough to come on the pod to talk uh, all things Nike, Jordan Brand, merchandising, all the kind of sneaker-related stuff you want to hear about, about Jordan Brand. And, fun fact, he also served as a teaching pastor at one point in life. So we hit on that a little bit, too. Uh, this is my last gift to, to you for 2020, even though we're all ready for this year to be way more than over. Um, but I hope this podcast at least entertains you for an hour or so and helps you tune out from the rest of the BS that's going on in the world. If you haven't done so already, there is a free chapter up on preachersandseekers.com of my forthcoming book release in April, Preachers and Sneakers, Authenticity in an Age of For-Profit Faith and Wannabe Celebrities. All you have to do is go to preachersandseekers.com, drop your email and your name, I think, and you'll get immediate access to my chapter on call-out culture. Read it. Let me know what you think of it. It may be terrible, but you may get something out of it. Who knows? Uh, It's free. It costs you nothing other than your email. So head on over and do that. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. And I hope you have a great rest of 2020, which is like uh, literally one day from now. And hopefully 2021 starts off better. Everyone gets in the gym for those first four weeks and then never goes again. All that good stuff. So appreciate all the support this year and see you next year. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Anyways, let's get to the conversation. I'm sitting here with my new IG buddy, Johnny Valentine. The thing about Johnny Valentine, uh, other than having a cool nickname, is that he currently works at Jordan Brand, which stuck out to me because it's pretty uh, aligned with my subject matter. And he also served as a teaching pastor, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, teaching teaching pastor. pastor, youth pastor early on, all that good stuff. Yeah, up in Oregon, right? Yep. You're at home base at Nike? Okay, awesome. And he agreed to come on and talk about his experience getting to Nike, maybe some of the cool stories around working at the brand, and some maybe stories about uh, church-related things. So, Johnny, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the pod, my friend. Dude, thank you so much, man. Uh, I I still think back to the very first time you hit me up, because I left some comment like a year and a half ago. Uh Your first question to me was, do you really work at Jordan Brand? And (laughs) yeah, I mean, there were... There were a good 10 of us following your account right from the start. Super curious, you know, watching which, what you put up and what people said. So Yeah. Well, uh, I probably also made some type of uh, overused comment about mids because a lot of people uh, love to hate on Jordan mids. Um, and I guess it shouldn't have surprised me that you work for Jordan since uh, it's a huge brand. Like, right. Is, I think it might be right under Yeezy now. Is Jordan the second highest it bounces speakers. back and forth between, man. We were, uh, I think we were right behind, yeah, Adidas and Yeezy. 
you know, got jumped, jumped the jump, man. But yeah. um, I don't know where it stands right now. I think we're back up. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, because especially since Kanye said he was going to wear Jordans until he's got, uh, I guess, appointed to the board of Adidas. Yep. Uh, since that's how corporate governance works, you just pout until you get on a multi-billion dollar uh, company's board. Anyways, all right, Johnny. Well, uh, I think people would be interested to know because I think a lot of people would love to work at a company like Nike and Jordan. You mind going through a quick uh, career recap for yourself and how you got there? Sure, man. Um, and it actually is why I've loved your account. So my entire career is is probably the uh, specific one guy that you made the entire Preachers and Sneakers account for. Um, went to college at Biola University, planned on being a pastor. I mean, I felt that since I was like a young kid, right? And so I have family uh, first, members that went there, Biola. Oh, awesome school, yeah. man. Great experience yeah. and you know, smart good people mix. up there. Yeah, smarter than me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I went and um, bounced around majors a little bit, settled on biblical studies and theology. And um, by the time I was out of college, you know, started working in Nordstrom, and that was the side job to eventually become a pastor. What and, department? Oh, man, way too many. Uh, it was a nine-year career at Nordstrom. Oh, was snap. In, uh, the rail. Oh, yeah. Rail, men's clothing, kids, um, even bridal at one point. So, so you were on the nice corporate side, not on the retail side. Nope. All retail. Up and down oh, really? The West Coast. Yeah, nine yeah. years so, at Nordstrom Retail. Yeah. Just, so started on the West Coast down in uh, Brea, California. Good old uh, Orange County work. And then uh, moved up back up to Portland where my home was growing up. Mm-hmm. and uh, bounced around every store in Oregon at one point or another. Wow. What uh, Nordstrom's an interesting place because there's always the people that work the floor there seem to, or at least the appearance is that like fashion is their life. Is, Absolutely. Uh, what's the most you've seen somebody spend there? Because people like rich people go to Nordstrom and drop cheddar. Is 100%. Any, did any of those purchases stick out to you? No. So I was a salesperson and a department manager. Um, and then, you know, just kind of overseeing a couple departments by the time I was done. Biggest sale I ever had was about $15,000. And that Dude. was a couple of suits. Biggest sale I remember in one store in one day was one person dropping $42,000. Why? Why? Why are you people doing this? Was this just an ultra loaded person with like a personal shopper? Or something. Yeah, ultra loaded personal shopper, you know, the wealthiest part of town, all that good stuff. But uh, no, nah, man, I think it's all relative at times. I mean, that's actually, I'd love to talk to you about that today too, of just kind of like, you know, how sneakers appear on pastors and what's, what's okay, what's not. That's always been a theological question I've had. And so yeah, you go back to, to where I'm at, you know, I, I spent nine years at Nordstrom and between that, I had a couple stints as a youth pastor mm-hmm. and uh, eventually got a full-time pastor job as a teaching pastor for one year. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I was 25 trying to oversee, um, a, you know, small congregation, but guys that are way wiser than I am. Um, and I was kind of left on my own. And so I will say this, I didn't make the best decisions, but man, I totally learned the ins and outs of, of what's good and bad about a pastorship and where wisdom comes in and some of the flaws we probably have in our American format. Mm -hmm. So learned that. Um, and I was in the middle of my Nordstrom stint, went back to Nordstrom, hit the drawing board, went to school, uh, went back for a business degree instead of the uh, biblical studies. And I, I got to give this. So, um, if you've ever heard of H white, he is a icon in the Jordan brand. And I talked to H, uh, my first two months in the brand and, and I talked to H and I was able to recap my entire story this way. Um, I didn't believe I could work a job that was cool. 
I'm going to be totally honest about this, man. There's a huge element of belief. And, and I hope this helps out anybody who's listening in that, that maybe goes, man, how does, how does TJ have this awesome preachers and sneakers account? And how does a guy work at Nike? And how does a guy get their dream job they want to do? And truth be told, I didn't know it was my dream job. Hmm. So when I look back, uh, we were in Portland. I'm, I'm working at Nordstrom and I call it the accidental career because now I look back and it's nine years. And I'm doing the same thing for nine years, managing retail, selling a bunch of, bunch of clothes. And yeah. my wife just encouraged me. She goes, no, work for Nike. It's right up the road. And I'm like, I can't do that. She goes, you just got a business degree. Go back to Nike and give it a shot. And I'm like, I just can't. There's nobody that I know. I'm not that like cool. I'm not that white collar. My dad built kitchens growing up. Yeah. And um, I met one person who was a family friend at Nike. And after our first conversation, his, his response to me was, dude, you're a perfect fit. Yeah, you, you get it. You know sneaker culture enough. You love clothes. You get the idea of selling to people about how the consumer matters, how you have to reach that consumer and let them feel what you want to feel through a product. Mm-hmm. He was just excited about it and said, yeah, you can do it. And that just turned on a light bulb, man. Like I did not think I could ever do something like this. And I think that was the biggest lesson I had to learn is we're all the same. Yeah. We all have the same amount of hours in a day. We all have the same abilities. I think we package it differently. So you might have a VP who's going to package it one way and has refined that ability to talk to high level concepts. Mm-hmm. Or you got a guy flipping burgers who loves, you know, making music on the side. Same amount of time in the day. But when you really want it and you really try, you just have to make sure you set your mind to it. So I went on a path, worked on a contract for a little while, worked in our men's training category. Um, got to work on things like military boots and CrossFit, Metcons, things like that. Yeah. And then uh, worked under some amazing, amazing leaders who just said, hey, you're, you're going to be welcome here. Come on over. And I got offered a job uh, after grinding on a contract for a while. And it was in the Jordan brand. And it was kind of mind blowing to be able to just step into this like hollowed setting where so many people uh, have worked before me. And, and I got to say, I'm the last person that's going to be the best representation of Jordan or Nike. I'm just Johnny. There are people who have been there for 15, 20 years and know it in and out. Yeah. I consider myself kind of um, a citizen trying to get a green card. Like I will never say I'm an OG. I'm never from there. I'm never uh-huh. like a native, but I want to earn my credibility there. Yeah. So how long have you been there since? Uh, three years now. This three month. years. And you work in merchandising, right? Merchandising. So I imagine, I mean, the nine years in Nordstrom probably spoke pretty well to what they were looking for. Like instead of like, so yeah, you were green and as far as the, I guess, big sneaker space, but nine years at a, at a, a luxury clothing department store probably gave you some good talking points or at least success stories on your resume. Oh, for real. Yeah. So for real. I mean, it's a reputation thing, you know, when you have a good company that, uh, that people can trust and they've had some other people from Nordstrom join and good experience. Absolutely. It helps. Yeah. So you, I want to go back to the uh, year as a pastor, uh, as a 25 year old, I'm willing to say you would agree that maybe that's a little young to be trying to lead people spiritually. (laughs) A lot of people are still trying to do it. And there is some element of life experience definitely helps you uh, help others uh, go through tough things like that pastor jobs. I'm sure, you know, even as on the teaching side, not like a senior side, it's tough from what I understand. Oh, it's, 
It's really tough. I mean, it's a grind. I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to to teach. And this is the piece that I think I I did not understand then that I maybe am starting to understand now in my mid-30s. When you are a pastor, your goal is not teaching. Now, that's something we've idolized. I think we've gotten really hung up on, hey, teaching is awesome. I can take a sound by the way. But the goal should be communion every Sunday. You know, and that's something I only learned in my own life a couple of the last couple of years. And I think I was so stuck on teaching, so stuck on being fresh out of, you know, Bible college, having this knowledge, um, trying to make people, you know, rethink the way they, they live their lives. And that's great. I think that's really what anybody young and ambitious should be doing. But I also didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Which is a lot probably. Meaning like when I was 25, I did, (laughs) there's a lot I didn't know that I didn't know. Um, man, but at least you got incredibly wealthy from it, right? Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, man. No, it's, uh, I think I made, uh, what did we make? I took home $2,000 a month from that job, uh, you know, focusing on Sundays. And, uh, and then in, in yeah, the Portland yeah, area? Yeah, you're shaking your head as you should be. In the Portland area? In the Portland area. Yeah, so it, wasn't as hot as it, it wasn't as hot as it is now. It was a little more livable then, you know? I'm, I'm sure not but, yeah, much. In that time, uh, our apartment price went from about $700 a month to fourteen. Jeez. So straight up doubled. Yeah. Yeah. 2000 a month isn't enough. I would say for maybe any no, part of the no. country. So, uh, you get to well, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to just give you this. I mean, you, you mentioned the money side of it. I think that was, that was where my young kind of, uh, excitement. I still want and actually respect my young side in that one sliver. So I got to give you this, this aspect of it. Um, I, uh, at a college, at a Biola, met some dudes um, that were very much advocates for the poor. So this is kind of where that spectrum comes in, right? Mm. You can be a totally um, all supporting for wealth and prosperity, or you can be totally a poverty advocate and saying you should never own anything. And that's kind of the spectrum we live on, you know, in American yep. Christianity. And I had leaned a little bit of that poverty world just from some, from some great guys that had amazing hearts. And one of them was Brant Russo. He had a program uh, in the mid 2000s called Can't Ignore the Poor. And um, he even like went to Joel Osteen's church and ended up, you know, protesting in the middle of their lobby and getting kicked out. Oh, really? But literally his protest, oh yeah, his protest, and he was literally, he was homeless. He lived homeless for a few years. And his protest was just holding up a sign that said, hey, you know, what about Axe? And talking about sharing all of their belongings and sharing everything that they had and what they were known for. And they got kicked out. You know, and I think it was to me, it was like, oh, I want to get against that. You know, why are those churches um, not loving the poor? And so I was on that ride for a while. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting, probably defining moment of my entire experience in ministry, whether it be full time, part time, pastor, whatnot, was an interview I had with uh, four elders. And it was an evening interview going to this nice, cold office building like every church, you know. And I go in there one evening and we're having a talk and a great interview. They love me. They're saying all this great stuff about, hey, man, you're going to be awesome. We love the energy you're bringing. And then they talk about salary and they go, hey, we don't have much to pay you right now. We really can only offer you about 60 by the end of the year, but we're trying to work to that. Our goal would be to get you to 70,000 within about two years. Now, some of you people listening are probably going, hey, in some parts of the country, that's amazing. In LA or Portland, that's kind of average. And I had actually said to him that, hey, as a pastor, and this is the the young, you know, idealistic version of myself, I said, hey, as a pastor, I would actually only like to take $54,000 
And the reason was it was the median income of the city we were worshiping in and working in. And I got laughed at. And they're like, great, bro. <laughs> literally, yeah. Literally, these pastors kind of scoffed. We got a bonus. Said, oh, no. And they said, no, no, no. That's And they literally just kind of like patted me on the head and said, oh, that's idealistic. Oh, that's, that's really nice of you. But no, no, no. You need to be able to raise a family and, and own a home. And you can see their intent was great. I don't think their, their heart was bad at all in that. But I still walked away going, they don't understand at least half of their community. Right. And the way half the community is living. And so that was a little bit of a bad taste, a little bit of a shock kind of, you know, leading up to just being able to think about all views of wealth and of ministry. And do you, do you hold on to that? Because 70 K for any kind of pastor, I think is, or for a mega church, I don't know what kind of church this this is that you're talking about, but for a mega church is on the low side. From what I understand, like Mark Driscoll made 700,000 a year in Seattle. Like, Yep. Uh, yep. to 25 year old you, I'm sure that you couldn't compute that, but do you still hold that? Or do you, uh, what are your thoughts on that now? I do for pastors. So, um, I very firmly, and this is kind of coming out of all my experience. I still have tons of pastor friends, you know, so I'm still reaching out and talking. I'm actually sure a bunch of them are going to listen to this. Um, I, I still firmly believe that a pastor Um, and we can get deeper into this too. I don't think a pastor should fully be vocational as a minister in America. Hmm. I think you're looking at the context of scripture. You're looking at Paul, even who was a tent maker full time while he's traveling. Um, you had people that were relying on the most humble of society to welcome them into their homes, to keep them rolling. I think there is a danger when a pastor's salary is being measured off of a culture and not off of the most, you know, at risk and the least of these. If he was a, if he was a CEO elsewhere, he'd be making five times as much that kind of thing. 100%. (laughs) And that's why I don't mind making more than 70 now, you know, and that's just the reality is you're working for a fortune 500 company and I don't mind making more money now because I'm not cashing it out off of people's emotions, off of people's um, hearts. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of people that can be pissed off that I said that, and that's fine. I, I think, what we have to do is be challenging and always leaning into, like I said, the least of these, you know, when you're defaulting, don't default to the rich because Jesus never did. Yeah. We have to default down to who are the most vulnerable, the most at risk. And that's kind of the, the take I, I hold on a lot of things in, in culture. Now. Has anybody uh, challenged you on that? So like, I'm looking up some of these verses about paying oh, yeah. pastors like first Corinthians nine, about muzzling yep. the ox and, and all that. Uh, there's several verses out there that kind of allude to not like limiting, I guess the wages of a teacher. What do you think about that? I mean, you went to Biola, you probably studied all this yeah. stuff. Uh, what's your, what's your justification for that? I'm just interested. I, I probably believe no, you. In some for ways. Sure. Um, no, like- and, and I'll be really blunt, man. This is the type of stuff I get real into. I would say outside of work, I'm more of a theologian than anything else. And uh, that's all, all I get into. Oh, cool. Um, so when you talk about that, I'm all for it. I, I think, uh, my mind snaps back to one time I got kind of confronted by a brother who was saying, and I don't know how he was using this, but he was trying to use Hebrews and casting off everything that hinders, or sorry, yeah, cast off everything that hinders, you know, everything so you can run this race. And like, you know, if money or salary is a hindrance, you have to get rid of it, cast it off, be free of it. And I kind of sat there and I go, first off, that's not the context of the race that's being, you know, taught there. But second, I go, 
it, it kind of turns your worship into a worship of money to say that that's even a hindrance. So what I look at is when you talk about anything that's an obstacle, and then this is kind of my philosophy is that it's in the middle somewhere because I think, Hey, if you're living in LA, your salary is going to be way different than if you're living in Casper, Wyoming, uh-huh. you know, it's going to be a different dynamic. And I think what I look at is you have to keep yourself accountable to where your heart's at. And that's where I go back to everything Jesus taught. Jesus never taught anything about a law. He taught about how the heart reacted to the law and how the heart fulfilled the law. And so that's where Jesus can say a Samaritan did a good work because his heart was in the right space. And he can say that a centurion is, has a great heart. He can pull all of these things together. So what I looked at is this. If money becomes, and, and, and really the only the individuals can call this out, if money becomes something, that is distracting to others or that you find yourself reaching for or leaning into, then you need to snap yourself back and say, I don't need that. If you find yourself kind of grasping for poverty or trying to grind out and you're not even keeping afloat, then God says, hey, you're blessed. You probably need to hold yourself to a little higher standard. So it's really an accountability. It's not a clean answer of like a perfect salary in America or um, or should a guy make 500, but not 600,000 or is a million too much? Are they going to hell if they make a million? No, 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 no. I, I think it really goes back to that, that twofold approach. Are you loving your neighbor by making sure you're not hurting your witness to them? And then are you loving God by not worshiping money more than God? Yeah. Yeah. I, in, in theory, I get it. Like you would want to, you would want pastors to be fully bought into the role of pastor without being concerned about making more money elsewhere or not being paid enough in their spot or in their current role as a pastor. Um, but also there's like, uh, I imagine it would be difficult to be working a full-time job and be full-time pastor. I think the intent over the years was to say, Hey, you focus on leading all of us spiritually and leading the flock and leading the team and everything. But at some point it turned into, Hey, our church is now pretty basically a corporate structure. And we're talking about Mm -hmm. big time salaries. And so there's something in there that I think, I don't know, like if, I mean, personally, I want to make as much money as possible, even if I am a pastor, but also don't become a pastor. I think if you like, it's just a weird thing because maybe most church salaries aren't, impressive at all. Maybe a couple are really ridiculous, but you know, when you get to start talking about the book deals and the speaking tours and, and all, and the conferences and all that, that's when it gets a little more fuzzy because it's like, yeah, maybe you're not taking a salary, but you're also selling your freaking books to every congregation that you go speak at. So now are you making more ch- money from more churches? It's just an interesting discussion. I mean, there's no real great answer, but you're not the first person I've talked to that says, yeah, I don't think anyone should be full, like a professional pastor. Like they should be in the world that they're there in the community that they live in and serve in that capacity, but not be a professional or paid as a professional pastor. Yeah. What kind of church? No, it's, it's a big topic. Yeah. I mean What's the up? church you go, do you go to church currently? Yeah, we do. Yep. And what is What's it look like for your pastor there? Uh, it's a small, small church. I think, uh, I just heard from a friend because we're talking about this a couple weeks ago, actually, I think he makes 70 to 80,000 at max. Yeah. It's about a 300 person church, small office building kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, couple of locations, but every location has their own individual pastor, no televised kind of thing like that. 
Um, and it's smaller. I mean, I think, I think what you're, what you're maybe touching on too, is that, that aspect of like, we're trying to kind of work backwards that we've landed in this format of church, that it is so big and you've got book deals and giant buildings and huge bands that need full salaries and families. And, and I think when you look at that alone, that's something that's really hard to kind of envision when you see Jesus and all of the apostles and acts living out church. Now it doesn't mean that it can't ever get there again. I'm saying like, I do not have a clear answer on this. I am not God. I'm going to pull myself out of that. I'm going to leave some mystery because I think that's something I've been trying to embrace. Yeah. But I think uh, what I do see is this um, a lot of pastors. And I think the downfall a lot of, pa- of a lot of pastors, I've, I've seen this very personally. I've seen this on the broad spectrum, you know, go, go to Hybels, go to any of these big guys. Mm-hmm. Like you see that when there is so much money, or prosperity or just lifestyle at all attached to it, even reputation. When those things all become bigger than loving the individuals and like nurturing and having communion, then all of a sudden it becomes a self-preservation act. So you start thinking about how do I protect what I have? Yeah. And I think what we've done in America, sorry, now I'm getting my soapbox. Like this is, you, I gotta Come go on, there. bring it. Now in America, I think what we've gotten to is you have a ton of pastors who have been told this is the format and that you get to make a certain amount of money. And they've bypassed what is the role of a pastor, of an elder from like the first origins. And they've gone straight to this is our cultural format and they've embraced that. Now, a lot of them have great hearts. I'm going to keep on saying that. But what happens though, and, and the reason I think you see so many pastors fail, whether it be sexually, financially, just even like power trips, is that you've now said your entire career is based off of your ability to be a pastor and your family income is based off of your pastorship. Yep. So now you're actually taking it far beyond your heart. Yeah. You're saying like, hey, I'm going to put this to it. And I think the most telling sign of that was uh, one of my professors he wrote a book in like 2008, um, Death by Church. Highly recommend, old book, good good knowledge. But when surveyed, 74% of pastors would not be a pastor if they felt they could do anything else. Hmm. Now it's 2008, 74. So three out of four pastors would not be a pastor if they thought they could make money or do something so they, else. So that was – they their thinking was that this is what I've been called to do. This is the only thing I can do. So now I'm going to have to flourish in as much as I can in this role that I feel like I'm wired for. 100%. Yeah. But it's like if you, in the same way, like if you feel like you're good at merchandising or marketing or comedy or whatever, it's human nature to want to do as good as possible. I think for most people, mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where it makes it fuzzy. Like once you start including all of the different perks, now granted, most pastors out there would say there's like zero perks other than maybe like free food on Sundays. But yeah, like yeah. the mega church dudes, now we're talking about like there's actual perks, not only like money distribution for whatever you produce, exposure on social media, fame by proximity to celebrities, all those things. Uh, now you're having to, like you said, try to preserve that, keep that going and not fall into the trap that it inevitably will become, or at least for human nature says like, 
or at least maybe just for me, if I've got a ton of money, ton of fame, a ton of people saying I'm awesome, it's at least going to be a challenge for that not to be an idol yep. in my own life. And so why even deal with the risk of that? I've never been a super rich, super famous pastor, so it's impossible for me to completely empathize with that position. But it's it's been surprising to me that a lot of them don't visibly or audibly acknowledge the weird position that they're in. They're just like, dude, this is God's blessed me with all this. And something to you said that you said earlier, it's like, uh, once you include all this different stuff and you feel like that's the only thing you can do, uh, wait for it. I lost my train of thought. I lost my mother. All good. My freaking train of thought. All right. I'll, I'll get it back in a sec. Um, so you're saying you believe that most pastors or all pastors should be bivocational. Um, yeah, in some sense, Yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. I think, I think what you're looking at is, and yeah, I know I'm pissing off a lot of people. got to re- reiterate that. I think what, what you're looking at is, um, you have a lot of pastors out there that are, are doing good work, but there is a strange line of power and money. And I think that's what I go to is you go look at Jesus teaching. You know, when you, if you had to count up every part of Jesus teaching in all four gospels, and you were to tag like every time he spoke about one topic, the number one topic is kingdom of God. Okay. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. The number two mentioned topic is money and wealth and prosperity as a danger. So like the number two thing after him proclaiming a a beautiful future, the now and not yet, the number two thing that he warns all believers of is power. And I think that's, that's the thing that I think we can all lose track of. And I say that myself knowing, Hey, even in my own role, like I think what people miss is like, if you make more than $75,000 in America, you're in the top 15% of American income. Yeah. Like if you make over a hundred grand, you're in the top 7%. Now we hear billionaires, like we hear, you know, all of the the crazy Jeff Bezos of the world and mm-hmm. they're in a microcosm, add 15 zeros, yeah. you know, to a, a percentage. Um, but I think what, what I look at is we have to be self-accountable as Americans being in the wealthiest country in the world to say, wait, what is power? And be open about it. I, I think, I think what you mentioned earlier is, um, you know, being bivocational or a pastor, being self-aware, I'm, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for pastors saying like, hey, you know, I make a lot of money and this is what I like to spend on. Just be open. And I think most people are pretty open about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've got a president that is a billionaire and Apparently. America elected him. They're, they had no problem. We'll leave that. Uh, we, we, we're all cool with that as a country. And I think most people are fine when somebody has earned a certain amount of money or they like special things, I think pastors just need to be okay with it. I think there's been a, own it a weird bit. hybrid of every pastor. Yeah. They've been trying to act just a little too humble at times and like force that humility and hide when they like something good. If you like a great scotch and you spent 80 bucks on that bottle and you want to keep it in your office. Awesome. Is your heart good? That's the number one question I want to go back. Is your heart cool? Are you cool? serving people of all types of, of backgrounds. Yeah. And like, uh, does your lifestyle and actions over index on outward stuff? So like, yeah, I think if, 
anybody went to a church and knew that their pastor was just like giving and giving and giving and helping and helping and helping. If they got themselves something nice, everybody'd be like, dude, you deserve it, bro. But when it mm-hmm. turns into a pattern of this, this sure does seem a lot like this is just about elevating his image or pubbing his book or, uh, you know, more pictures of him with a celebrity. Eventually it's like, dude, what, what are you really in this for? And like, yeah, maybe their heart's fine, but it's very easy for somebody like me to be like, dude, it seems like you're in this for the perks. I didn't think there were perks, but it does sure seem like you're in this for the financial and social perks. And I remembered what I was going to say earlier. Uh, you kind of hinted at it, but I too feel weird about the whole concept of getting rich off of God's work. So the whole only being a pastor, being a professional pastor at a certain point, once you start making big money, it sure does seem like you are using the name of God to get rich. And I don't have a verse that says that's not okay, but that's something that I struggle with every day. It is like, is that okay? If it's okay, why do so many of us feel like, dude, this feels gross to me. Uh, that's something I think about a lot because I'm sure like, surely God is like, Hey bro, maybe don't use me to, make all this cheese, but maybe he does. And it just seems weird to a lot of us lay people. No, I think, I think it's spot on. Uh, I mean, when I, when I look at it, I think what's that, what's that adage? There's like a whole study about everybody thinks they're like 90% of people think they're smarter than the average person. Right. (laughs) So what I look at though, is I take that and I apply it to, to Jesus teaching again, you know, it's easier for a rich man or uh, for a man to, our camel passed through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter heaven, mm-hmm. right? Jesus isn't saying a rich man can't, but he's saying the odds are kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, because the verse after that basically says, but God can do it in, in a very paraphrase. Absolutely, paraphrase and, and I think that's that's the piece of it is that there are exceptions to the rule, and it's very small, but what gets me the most is that a lot of people assume they are the exception. And so anytime I read me, a wealthy believer, and it doesn't have to be a, a pastor. I mean, it can be anybody. You know, a, a wealthy believer. I'll, I'll be honest, and this is gonna gonna bother some people if they hear this. I've met some wealthy, like I'm talking entrepreneur, like super wealthy investor guys. Um, that the heart I hear is, "Hey, I want to serve," or they say they want to serve God, but then they'll make the the joke about a homeless person, or they'll crack about, "Man, I would never spend money on that." That seems cheap and horrible. And oh man, how would you drive that car? And you go, dude, your, your heart's bleeding out something that is not a a love and embrace of everybody. Mm -hmm. Now there are few, I've met some that are amazingly wealthy people that, um, most of the time they hide it too. That's the funny part. Most of the people that I know that are super wealthy and generous don't want people to know. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a guy, um, I think he passed away now. He was at my church. Name is Henry. And the dude gave me money to go to college. Dang. But Henry, Henry was 90 years old. He had worked for Boeing as an engineer for years. And I mean, this is, you know, 15 years ago now, but the dude had millions. We didn't know this. None of us knew this, but the guy like popped up and just gave me a couple grand to go to a private Bible college. Cause he believed in my heart. And I wrote him a letter. That's dope. Like, dude. But, but at the same time, he wasn't wearing he wasn't wearing the fanciest sneakers or driving the hottest car. Again, nothing wrong with those things. But for him, it was whoa! I'm, I've been given this huge responsibility. 
I'm going to protect it and not let it get ruined by the risk of, of having it on the outside. There are some daily comforts that just make you grateful and feel more grounded in life. Petting the dog, hitting the snooze button, and of course, that first cup of coffee. These are things that you can on every day to help you get where you want to go. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It's the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who have encountered God in daily situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or printed magazine. Enjoy a free 30-day trial of the email or app service by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's U-P-P-E-R-R-O-O-M dot org slash welcome to get your first 30 days free. Yeah, it's hard not to, uh, even at my level, the little amount of money that we've made, it's hard not to want to immediately go buy freaking luxurious, luxurious or nice new stuff. Like at that level, when you have millions, it's a really hard challenge not to be like, dude, I earned this. I'm about to go live it up. It's an interesting discussion. Like if somebody is offering me a million bucks to do a thing, it'd be very hard for me to turn down or be very hard for me not to be super pumped about it. So it's Mm -hmm. an interesting battle that I think we all have to deal with. So, uh, let's move to Jordan brand a little bit because, uh, obviously I'm super interested in that. Tell me about your experience there. Like, yeah, you got, you got, you kind of networked your way in, was able to parlay your Nordstrom experience into it. Like, has anything super cool happened at Jordan or is it just a cubicle that you're sitting in doing any kind of other work that other people are doing? Have you met MJ? Have you freaking met, uh, what's his face? Is it Mark Parker? Who's the CEO? Yeah. Um, no, it's John Donahoe now. Um, haven't met Donahoe, have met Parker. Um, I've met, MJ, he visits, you know, the team a couple times a year. Well, at least before COVID a couple times a year. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's amazing experiences. You know, a buddy of mine, um, we were talking on a meeting about a week ago, just talking about Nike moments. You know, we, we talk about that when you live on, like when you work on campus and you get to live and breathe it. Um, the only way I can say it is, I loved my time in Nordstrom for nine years. It was awesome. I mean, it was the best retail experience I've ever had in my life. But in my world, the worst day at Nike is still better than any day at retail. Hmm. And I loved my Nike, my Nordstrom retail experience. You know, for me, it's, it's, um, it's just an honor. And again, I say this, like, I'm not the most sneakerhead in the world. Um, I bought a bunch of Air Max 90s when I was in college, was super into that. But to me, I was like later on to Jordan in the game much, much more lately. Um, when it comes to work in there, I think what you get to experience is, is more art than business all across the board. And so it's funny. I mean, we, we all follow Instagram channels and, and, and like every single, like every single sneaker, um, sneaker account out there, we're following them. Uh-huh. And I think it's funny when we get to just see reactions to things we've done and, whether it be good or bad. And I, and I mean that, I think, well, what's funny is we do th- everything we do has a purpose and a meaning for the consumer. Mm-hmm. And every guy, like I, like I said, I'm in merchandising. Okay. So I want to give this clarification. I'm in merchandising, which means that we basically control kind of the, how much, the, what, the, where it goes, a little bit more of the strategy side of, of the marketplace and what we're trying to do and, and where we want to land product. Um, the designers and the product managers those guys, every single one of them is the closest to the culture that 
that I, I aspire to be someday. You know, I mean, I, I've been able to go on some, some good trips to, to visit amazing stores, um, you know, in, in Brooklyn and hit out, hit up the loop in Chicago and, uh, awesome experiences. Right. Yeah. And the main thing for us and the main thing that is just mind blowing about being in a company like Nike and a company like Jordan is everything comes back to the consumer and like, Hey, are we doing the right thing there? Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting. You know, sometimes you hear somebody question what you're doing from the outside, but you know, the story on the inside, you just got to keep it to yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of funny just just seeing how it lands. Yeah, sneaker uh, fans of sneaker culture aren't exactly forgiving or aren't exactly uh, gracious a lot of times when you, it comes to dealing with their favorite sneakers. It's interesting seeing some of the reactions, and I I'm even I've even <laughs> made snarky comments about some silhouettes because some stuff either looks super weird or you like don't understand why. Uh, the company is putting out that type of colorway or whatever, and I just I mean I imagine it's just part of it. Um, is there anything, and you, to be clear, you're not speaking for Nike this, this whole time. You're not going to speak for Nike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there any product that, that released that y'all thought was going to be major hype and ended up being a total brick or can, is it pretty easy to forecast? Like, got it. Like OG Jordan one colorways pretty- are going to be widely, like everything's going to sell out all the OG PEs and stuff. But like, is there anything unique that we th- y'all thought was going to be huge and it ended up bricking? In, at least in the culture? Mm, you know, not so much. I think most things land the way we, 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 we see them landing. Okay. You know, so I think, I think what's interesting about it is, and I think this is worth just anybody hearing is every shoe, whether it be um, a Nike, you know, a revamped Air Force One continuing for years, you know, the same shoe coming out, the, the 07 Air Force One, mm. Um, whether it be a core level shoe, which is like your like really basic sneaker shop, $35 lifestyle shoe. Um, every single shoe is obsessed. I think that's what people, what people might, might miss is that every single piece of, you know, and I work mainly on apparel. Got to make sure that's super clear. I work right next to all my sneaker guys, but I work on the apparel mm-hmm. side of things. And I think what people might miss is, everything has an audience. And I think that's what we're always trying to reach is, yeah, there's a guy in Manhattan that is maybe going to Kith and he's trying to buy it, buy the, the hottest thing that he can there. And that is his product. But there are guys, you know, um, I live up in Portland and there's guys in Salem, Oregon that there aren't boutiques like that. Yeah. But we want to make sure we're coming to where people can access the brand and always have um, an ability to experience some part of it. I think that's, that's the interesting part is when you really get into the layers of, of a giant company and seeing that, Hey, we're actually trying to reach every single person that we can in some form or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you hear the public critique. I think it's like, an, you've had a couple comedians on, and, you know, there are jokes that maybe aren't meant to hit with certain audiences. And I think that's kind of the way business can go too, is that you're trying to land with certain audiences, but not everybody's going to get it. And that's fine. I, I think we're trying to be as authentic as we can to, to that consumer who we, we talked to, you know, years before we even get to design to the floor. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And it makes sense. I mean, it's huge scale, massive freaking company, global, all that stuff. Of course, there's going to be different, you know, buyer personas and different types of consumers different from like the boutique side to the Dick sporting goods side. That totally makes sense. Uh, I see you wearing a union shirt. Uh, any, 
collabs that you got to work on or that that you got exposure to? Because I'm super interested in that space because some collabs that come out are so freaking dope. And I would just love to hear if you've had any experience on any of those. No, I've, I've had some experience in kind of where it goes in the market, things like that. Um, but there is a team and maybe I'll try and introduce you to some of those guys a little later um, yeah. that does work specifically on that energy stuff. And I've been able to meet some of the guys. I'm not going to name them here, but like I've been able to meet some of the, some of the accounts. And I think the, the main thing I would give on that is like, shoot, you know, I'm wearing a union shirt. That is the, right now they're some of the most authentic people that we've ever interacted with hmm. period. And I think that's the coolest thing about some of the collabs um, that we've been putting out and, and that we're going to be putting out. Uh, every, every partner we come, we come with is super, super invested in Jordan and we get to invest in the community with them as well. Yeah. And I think that's a big filter that we're really trying to make sure we focus on is that we're not going to go out and put out 50, 60 collabs all across the country, you know? Um, but globally, when we do collab with somebody, we want to make sure that they are like our, our partner. Yeah. So again, like I can't speak on behalf of that team fully, but I just know, man, everything we do is, it's just the coolest storytelling and it's, it's new lenses on everything that we we may have a 20, 30 history year on a shoe or a product and they're coming with it and bringing in their own spin, but still ingraining all of that history to it. Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing experience just to watch those, uh, those collabs usually end up being really cool and super hyped and on the merchandising or maybe fulfillment side. Uh, what do you think about the scarcity piece? Because, you know, everybody that's a fan of sneaker culture, kind of gets annoyed with having to pay resale or not being able to cop something that they want. You know, is there, is there any response to that? Like, got it. Like you don't want to just send out a general release of something that you collab with Travis Scott. Maybe you do, but uh, does that play into the merchandising of it at all? Like knowing that, Hey, people are going to be freaking out about this sneaker. Has there been any considerations about like upping the stock or is that by design, whatever you can say about it? No, you're good. I, I, I won't speak on the sneaker side because I know the guys that run that and they've got their own philosophies. Okay. So like I they definitely have a lot tight there, but I will give you my own take on it. And I think what I look at is, um, is just ultimately like you want to make sure you are, are meeting and reaching every single consumer that you can. Um, but at the same time, you also know that you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah. You know, so, so when you come out with somebody and I think that's, that's the funny part is like, we're all about access and we get a lot of access out there, you know, whether it's bots trying to fight in the way for some of that access is something that we're constantly looking at. Um, And yes, we do read all of the sneakers app critiques. Uh, (laughs) But I think what, what we're trying to do all the time is, is just make sure there's the right level of partnership, no matter what, what the the launch is, whether it's a OG or a collab Uh, there's a balance. Right. And I think, what is is so beautiful about what we're doing is that like sometimes we we can't you know sometimes it just depends on the partner depends on what's going on with it um but we're we're always looking at how do we keep on making the access the right amount yeah you know i'll I'll go back to one that i won't name what it was but like we put a certain amount out and it was too much and people criticize it then we put out too little because we kind of, you know, reset a plan to make sure we're making the right amount and it's not enough. And I think that's pretty common 
um, cross the sneaker game. You know, my buddies at Adidas say the same thing, depending on what it is. You know, they put out um, the uh, like they put out boosts back in the day, and they were constantly hammered for not having enough. Yeah. And then by the time you get around to Yeezy, and you have Yeezy being out there, the resellers are arguing over what it what it should be. Yeah. And truth be told, I think there's a constant balance of like, hey, we're just trying to make sure we have the right the right styles out there and the right amount mixed in. So, yeah, that's all I can give you. Yeah, I uh, I remember when uh, Kanye came out and said, "I'm gonna make sure everybody can have a pair of Yeezys or whatever," and then all the resellers were so mad because they'd like been like keeping all their three fifties on ice, thinking that they were gonna cash out someday, and then he comes out with ten million pairs of cloud white Yeezys, and they basically go back to nothing. Yeah, you're not going to I mean, resellers resellers are going to complain, regular sneaker fans are going to complain. Um I So one thing that comes up a lot about uh Nike and Jordan all that is the whole like international production supply chain ethical stuff. Uh is there anything that you could talk about as far as improvements that y'all've made in that regard or if the public has it wrong as far as like these shoes were made in a sweatshop. This hoodie was made in a sweatshop. Uh, I assume Nike, I, I saw something about Nike going carbon neutral or something. Can you speak on that at all? Or like maybe on the apparel side, if there's anything that you're proud of is in, in terms of like the ethics of creating some of this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know all the details of it to be, to be totally honest. You know, we're a, we're a 12,000 person headquarters, 70,000 person company. Yeah. And I think, what I have experienced in my own side, so this is just my own experience in it, is, you know, we, we do visit factories as a global team, you know, uh, multiple times a year up until COVID, you know, but multiple times a year, all of our product managers, and we're talking amazing people like that I work with every day, um, have been to those factories. Now, I think the the only thing I can say on is like, I just don't know. Yeah. But you um, trust those people at, where they wouldn't be oh, like- 100%. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that's the piece is like you look at back in the 90s. I think the biggest piece was you go back to um, Kathy Griffith and like the whole original sweatshop deal in 94, 95 or what it was. And what I can say is like you look back at the history of it. I mean, that actually like was a, a major spotlight on Nike. And everything I've heard was like, hey, it was contracted at work that Nike didn't even know the details of. So what it did is it actually highlighted Nike back then to go, okay, wait, we need to look at all of our supply chain and even the contracted companies that we work with and where that comes from. So when people say sweatshops, I can very confidently say it's not sweatshops of little children, no air conditioning, sun beating down on them, yeah. making these shoes. Uh, but it's, it's just general factories from everything that I've seen and from all the, all the stuff. So, I mean, that's about all I can give you, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't want to say anything too crazy or speak out of turn from somebody who knows way more than me, but I, I just put it this way as a believer and, um, as a former pastor, as a person who advocates for the poor, I fully support it. And, and, you know, I think every time we've made a mistake because companies make them, you correct it, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, so we talk about things like, um, you mentioned renewability or kind of like that, that push. I think that's where I'm the most excited, man. Um, Move to zero is a program where we're really hyping up and, and building on. And, you know, we've got shirts that are 50% plus recycled plastics, you know, nice. and Parlay for the Oceans, huge shout out to yeah. them, Parlay for the Oceans and the work they did. I got to work on some G-Star stuff with them back in the day at Nordstrom and um, Those Ultra like they kind of kicked dope. it off. The Parlay, parlay oh, they were Ultra awesome. Boost were tough. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Yeah, and shout out to them. You know, I think that's the piece is that we're all in this train together. And um, I think the biggest thing that you're going to see is we're really aware of it. I think you're steering the Titanic sometimes, so it may not happen tonight or tomorrow, but like we are moving because we, we absolutely know that's a crucial thing to just exist, yeah. you know? So yeah, you hear people throw out the comments. I think um, most of the time people haven't heard the details of it or they hear one report and we all get concerned about it too as Nike employees when we hear them. And then we go read and we find out some more information and that's kind of how we handle it. Um, I think the, the perfect example of that and more around the media, right? And like the media spin or somebody trying to demonize one company or another, I mean, this could be anybody out there. But I think you go back to stuff like Colin Kaepernick three years ago. Uh-huh. And what's funny is I had uh, my aunt and uncle, you know, kind of flipping out at me online saying, this is your company. You support this guy. And well, you know, first off, gotta be super clear. He supports vets, you know, I mean, he had Nate Boyer there with him, yeah. kneeling with him because he taught him, talked to him about kneeling. Uh-huh. And I think what's wild about it is we actually make one of the most popular military boots that servicemen wear. And even my buddy who is a, um, who's a ranger right now, he's a young kind of guy, actually came up, my, my pastor's son who was in my youth group, he's a ranger right now. And we were just talking the other day about how, how he was so stoked to, to wear his Nike boots in ranger training. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny the way that can work because like, hey, we have a huge military veterans network on campus. And so all of that to say, it's like a perfect example of how you can hear one side of the story. But I think when you get to the point where you're such a big company, we're as diverse as the rest of the country at that point. Yeah. You know, there's no hard or left, a left or right. We're all we're all pretty diverse and all trying to listen to each other. Yeah, that's awesome. I was a Marine and we could not wear the Nike boots. I was always jealous of the Air Force and Army Bubba's. They got to wear whatever frick you know, whatever freaking yep. boot they, yep. they wanted to. And those looked a lot more comfy than what we got to wear. But <laughs> yeah, that's tight, man. Um, okay. So we're wrapping up. We're coming up on time. Uh, I wanted to ask you, do y'all get any uh, sneakers app cheat codes? And are you willing to nope. share those with me personally? No, that is one thing I will be super honest is employees have to fight pretty hard. Um, we do every once in a while get like access to something for like a little bit of a discount. Uh-huh. You know, we might get some of that. That employee so, store is pretty dope. I was there like two years ago. I was going to say, you mentioned that, like what brought you to Portland? I got just give me the quick snapshot uh, was, even for our, everybody here, you know, great podcast. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, I was in my MBA program and we had a kind of global trip where we went to some of these places. Um, nope, strike that. I was in the NBA program, but this was a marketing trip and we went up there and visited Nike, Columbia, and wh- whoever does the marketing advertising for Nike, the they're based in Portland too. I can't remember what. Wide and Kennedy? Yes, that was it. And so we yeah. went and visited them. Yep. Uh, and so we read, there was a few alumni that kind of toured us around the campus and stuff. And then we got to go to the employee store. And uh, this was before I was a figurehead for freaking questioning why you spin things. And so I, uh, I bought a lot of stuff there, I think, um, as much as I could fit in my bag. Um, but yeah, that's interesting to think because sneakers is such a common complaint. Another instance where you can't make anybody happy because it's like, it's a, such a slick app. It's like the UI and UX is really well done, but the moment that you enter a draw 40 times and never get a W you start to want to, you know. No, and I will say this on behalf of many of us on World Headquarters, we miss out a lot too. <laughs> like I straight, I have not hit on sneakers app myself. 
um, in a few months. And yeah, so it's same. My wife actually it, hits more than incredible. me. She's hit several times. Like she hit <laughs> on the the Sean Watherspoon Air Maxes and what? the uh, the free throw Jordan threes that re released a couple years ago. Pretty cool. She's super lucky. Um, sweet man. Well, yeah, we're right up on time. Is there anything that you want to pub or how do people find you online? No, I mean, dude, I'm just an Instagram guy. You know, I'm, I'm not, I gotta say this. I saw a lot of the names that you have on your podcast. I guarantee I am the smallest followership (laughs) out there and that is fine. I am a peon just doing my work every day. Um, no, I'm just Johnny Valentine, you know, and that's just me, just a little Instagram. Um, that's it. Nothing to pub. Um, I'll be writing a book soon, but that's not going to be for a couple of years. Okay. Um, but it's really, I mean, I'll give you this. It's really just around the concept of that middle, that middle ground of keeping yourself constantly can, you know, accountable that, Hey, if pride gets you humble yourself, if you're way too humble and not empowered again, Jesus says you're blessed and you probably need to be, be having a little bit more confidence in yourself. Yeah. Um, cause I think it just applies to so much of life, whether it be work, whether it be money, whether it be relationships, um, it's, it's an interesting piece cause you hear everybody say like Jesus doesn't want anybody lukewarm, you know, that whole scripture just pulled out of context. Truth be told, I think Jesus wants you to be able to flex and, and talk with anybody. Hmm. So that's all I got, man. I got nothing to pub. <laughs> that's good. Um, but I will say, um, just thank you for the stuff you're doing, man. I still go back to it. Um, your Instagram account was made for me. And so I'm just glad to see people, you know, talking about it and not really having a yes or no. It's a, it's something just to explore. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a huge compliment. And yeah, same as you. Like I want to get to the place where I can say, I don't know. Like this is what I talk about in uh, counseling a lot is like, it's probably okay to say, you don't know some of the answers to all these. You can't solve all the world's problems, but yeah, I mean, you're the type of guy that I I want you to relate to because I don't have any answers, and but it's worth struggling through some of these things. I think so. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation. It's really helpful to get insight into the you know pastor side of things and especially into the brand. Appreciate you being forthright about about it all. And yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. It's great to meet you, and we'd dude, love to keep in touch you. and introduce me to those sneaker side guys so that I can blackmail yeah, sure. or bribe them. <laughs> for some sneakers code so johnny valentine follow him at what at johnny valentine no h that's it yeah Yeah. okay yeah sweet well johnny thanks for the time buddy and i will talk to you later thank you thank you as always for checking out this episode of the preachers and sneakers podcast the last one of 2020 hopefully that bodes well for 2021 that we're all gonna have improved content, improved episodes, improved lives after this uh, hellhole of a year. Anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the support over the past year. And it, again, if you want to access that free chapter of the, the Preachers and Sneakers book, head on over to preachersandsneakers.com and drop your email and you'll get immediate access to my chapter on call-out culture. Thanks again for listening and be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode in 2021 of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast.